Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbors as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Third verse is Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All right, praise God. So those are verses that we've asked you to download into the old gray matter. Uh, That's more challenging for some of us than others. Uh, But those words bouncing around, those are kind of what we are about as the church. The Matthew 28 discipleship, uh, Mark 12, the kind of heart of love that we are supposed to have for God and neighbor. And then the things from Acts 2.42 that the church devoted themselves to. Those are things that we want to have constantly before us that we're participating in and uh, trying to attain more and more. So a couple weeks ago, we uh, looked at this verse from chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So we know that the church has had this kind of amazing beginning in Acts chapter 2, and then it's had certain challenges that have come up against it, and then there's this major persecution that breaks out that just spreads the church everywhere. And that's after, after this has happened, this is that time of rest from persecution. And what I believe is happening here is the Holy Spirit is preparing the people of God for something new. And we're going to talk about that today. So some things to notice when uh, the Holy Spirit encourages a church with peace. You get stronger, stronger in your faith, your purpose, your resolve. There's numeric numeric growth that takes place, new people with new gifts, the the reinforcements the Lord gives us. And uh, I don't understand the whole process of how this works and what draws people here through these doors and uh, what causes people to go back out the door sometimes. But when we are here, what is God wanting to accomplish with us is His church body. And then this fear of the Lord, which is awe and wonder, which means we take God seriously. We take God seriously. So then uh, we talked some last week in the beginning of chapter 10 about this character, Cornelius, who's a centurion, meaning that he was over 100 men in the Roman army. And we also are told that he's a God-fearer. But he has certain characteristics that God finds useful. And uh, I would call this person a person of peace. Someone God has worked in their lives in such a way, and they have a relationship with him, that they are just ripe for the gospel. So some things that we noticed in these couple verses. This person, Cornelius, he was devout. It says his whole family was committed. God-fearing. Think of respect. Think of reverence. Think of awe for God. And then almsgiving was a part of what he did. He gave generously to those in need. And then he's also mentioned for prayer. He prays to God regularly, even fixed-hour prayers he's involved in. He is a prayer warrior. Uh, If we look in some of the original language there, it has that implication that he is not just 
a Roman warrior, he is a warrior in his prayers as well. Uh, and so I think that this, this is significant, that God has got the right person ready to go for the message that Peter still doesn't know he has to deliver. So Peter, uh, we have, we've looked at, he's on this second missionary journey. We know he's gone to Samaria and he's preached at different villages around Samaria. And so Peter's second missionary journey, he starts off in Lydda and then from Jerusalem to Lydda, then to Joppa on the coast. And now he's moving up to Caesarea. So in Lydda, he heals someone who's been bedridden, a, par a, a paralyzed person for eight years bedridden, it says. And that's a small village with an amazing miracle. And then he moves on to a larger village or a town, Joppa, and there's even a more amazing miracle, this resurrection from the dead of uh, this special servant, Tabitha or Dorcas. And now he's moving on to Caesarea, and we will witness an even larger miracle. This major uh, metropolitan center, it was, it was a major trade uh, area. That's where the Roman cohorts were uh, housed there in Caesarea. It was the influence over that entire area came through that city of Caesarea. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So this threefold vision that Peter receives, it marks the significance of this event. Uh, and it may seem a strange way that, that this vision is being used to uh, to speak to the situation that's coming. Uh, it may seem strange to us that the issue of what you can and cannot eat would be the way that God is using to show that the Gentiles should be included in the body, uh, into the church. But this vision of clean and unclean food, it actually speaks to a larger issue. Food laws served as a mark of who was in and who was out. The food laws uh, for Jewish people, it largely distinguished them from their non-Jewish neighbors. It was a separating issue. And so I think anyone in this first century audience, Jew or Gentile, would clearly grasp the implications of this vision. 
This is about who you can and cannot have fellowship with. Who can be your people and who can't be your people. This is about who can be included and who can't be included. So this vision is given, and before there is even really a whole lot of chance for Peter to process it or to be in doubt over its meaning, the Holy Spirit comes and gives clear instructions. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So once again, it appears like all of the forces of heaven are at work leading the church in a direction, a new direction that they're not even ready to go in. So the forces of heaven, what am I talking about? Cornelius, this non-believer, non-insider, an outsider, he receives this angelic messenger with very specific instructions which he obeys and sends people to go look for this Peter, this Simon who's staying at this house of Simon the Tanner. And then in chapter 10, We have this heavenly voice, it's just referred to as a heavenly voice, uh, that Peter replies to as Lord. So Jesus, I'm not sure, he has this threefold vision and this voice telling him things. And then in case there was any doubt about that, the Holy Spirit is the next one who speaks and gives Peter very specific instructions again. I have sent these men, go with them. There's no doubt here. There is heaven at work on behalf of this situation, creating this situation. So Peter, he invited the men into the house to be his guests. Based on what the Lord is doing, Peter responds by providing hospitality to these messengers. And to Peter's credit, This in itself is an act of faith. For a Jew to invite a Gentile into their home would be to invite something unclean, potentially, into your household. It's something that would be viewed as very suspect. It would raise a few eyebrows. There would be a few, what are you thinking here, Peter, kind of things. But this is not as bad still as a Gentile inviting a Jew in and for the Jew to accept the fellow, that fellowship in a Gentile home, that would be viewed as something that's downright scandalous. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along, the Jewish brothers there in Joppa. 
The following day he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. They were ready for what was going to happen. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. So Cornelius, he doesn't fully understand how to act toward Peter. He just knows that Peter is a messenger of the Lord, and this whole situation would be very exciting and completely overwhelming. But Peter shows that it's not the messenger that matters, but rather the one who sends the messenger. And that's appropriately so. Um, so I'm trying to think about the kind of excitement that that would have. I try not to overwhelm you with missionary stories, but I was a missionary for most of my ministry, uh, 14 years in Tanzania, East Africa. And when we were first there, this window of opportunity just opened for the gospel. And there were people of peace that were searching for the Word of God and a relationship with the Lord. And I remember getting letters, and I kept a few of them, signed by whole villages of people. We heard that you teach about Jesus Christ, and we want to know more about Him. Will you please come and share the message of Jesus with us? And then it would be signed, one signed by like 65 people in this village, just hungry for the Word of God. Well, the Holy Spirit has been at work setting this up with Cornelius. There's this hunger there. He's gathered all of his household. He doesn't know quite what to expect, but there's excitement. Everyone's there waiting for this message. This message from the man the angel said needed to come and share something with you. The way the Lord has orchestrated all the pieces and for what was about to happen, it's an amazing thing. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Why did you send for me? So Cornelius tells Peter about this angelic messenger that appeared with very specific instructions to seek Peter out and even where to find Peter, and that they were to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you, Peter, to share with us. Everything the Lord has given you to share with us, that's what we're, we're ready to listen to. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but it accepts men and women from every nation who fear Him and who do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The good news of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So, those, uh, this, this message here, God does not show favoritism, but accepts. 
Let me just say a word about this because this is a beautiful image that I think we can miss in English a lot of times. The phrase, God does not show favoritism but accepts, in Greek it conveys the idea that God lifts up the face. So really what it is is an image, like think of it this way, God accepts, He doesn't show favoritism. So I get to come and I get to bow down and I get to wait on the Lord. And this image of acceptance is God coming by to me as I'm bowed down and putting his, fa- his hand under my face to raise my head down from like this to come and look at him in the eyes. To know that God accepts me. That's the image that's being conveyed here. Those who fear him and who do what is right. Let me just say a word about that too. As God moves to accept and to lift up someone's head, he is moved to lift up the head of one who is fearing him, who has fear of the Lord, and one who is committed to doing what is right. He is reading the heart is what that means. And so Peter continues to unfold these central teachings of the gospel, his summary of the gospel message that Acts records to us. So I'm just going to share this kind of summary that Peter gives. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, while the preacher still preaching, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Even on Gentiles. So I, I, I hope that we begin to see as, as Luke writes Acts, there's certain ironies that he brings in. And this is another classic Lucan irony. How the teacher comes to teach and now that teacher is being taught. 
Peter and these Jewish Christians are being taught a lesson about who God accepts. The messenger in Luke and irony, he is receiving a message that he's going to have to share with others as well. The gospel, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. And all these Jewish believers, they recognize the Holy Spirit through this manifestation of speaking in tongues and praising God. And the Holy Spirit, just let me say, the Holy Spirit doesn't wait for baptism. He doesn't wait for an apostle to lay on hands like the case of the Samaritan Christians. No, God is taking the initiative here. God is moving forward. And really, the church is having to play catch-up. The church is having to catch up to where God is leading them. Think about that. So when, when they witness this amazing event and the outpouring of the Spirit, Peter says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Again, the gift of the Holy Spirit and baptism are intimately tied together. We see that again and again in Acts. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The fact that Peter is now willing to stay with these Gentiles into, in a Gentile house, it shows that he recognizes the work of God. These Gentile people are now made clean through Jesus Christ. They're clean through Jesus. Well, it's a scandalous way that Peter behaves. And there had to be some kind of pushback. The apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's interesting, the complaint. It's not that these Gentiles received the Word of God. It's who Peter chooses to include in fellowship. Let that sink in. The young church has already been through two internal attacks that we've read about in Acts, things that would threaten the unity of the church. The first one is in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember that story? They're trying to manage an image. They tell a lie. They sell a field. They say, this is what we got for us. Look how generous we are. We put the money at the feet of the apostles, all the time keeping some of that back. And we think, what is the big deal there? They are portraying a certain kind of heart, which was not the reality of the true condition of their heart. And so the Holy Spirit responds in a way that is just radical. It shakes up the church, and there's fear of the Lord. 
And then we've heard of another internal incident that in the following chapter that is a threat to the unity of the church. It's these Grecian Jewish widows who are being overlooked in the distribution of the food. So the Hebraic, the right ethnic group Jews, their widows somehow were getting all the food that they were supposed to get, but there wasn't enough left to take care of the needs of these Greek-speaking widows. So there's a discrepancy there. Whether it was an intentional thing or not, it has no place in the Lord's church. And they recognize it as such, and they respond by putting godly, Holy Spirit-filled men on that situation to help make sure that there's equality and equity in everything that's being shared out together. That had the potential of harming the unity of the church, but when the Holy Spirit gets involved in these things, those things that come as an attack, God uses them in such a way that the church grows and they get stronger and stronger. Love for each other grows in these situations that have a potential to be divisive. And so we've already seen those things in Acts. Let me just say those instances, as far as how explosive they can be, they don't hold a candle to what's taking place now. of these outsiders being called insiders and included in full fellowship. The controversy doesn't have to do with whether or not Gentiles can come to Christ. The controversy is over whether or not a Gentile has to become a Jew first. There was a group that says they're welcome to become disciples of Jesus. But they have to be circumcised. They have to keep all of these dietary laws. It was basically the full weight of the law being placed on the shoulders of anyone who wanted to come to Jesus Christ as their Lord. So that is the argument here. So Peter, he responds. He began and explained everything to them precisely, precisely as it has happened. Peter's very careful at this point to be clear about everything that took place. Uh, All of these things that were verifiable by other Jewish Christians, that other Jewish Christians also were able to witness. So Luke, he repeats this story over again. It's almost word for word as he's given an explanation. First it happens, and now he's explaining it to this group of people. And it's almost word for word. So why would Luke do that? Well, two things to keep in mind. First, this is largely an oral culture at the time where the literacy rate would be very low. And in addition to that, uh, the people who had access to a scroll that would be a very limited group of people, very few people that could make use of that. So in an oral culture, these, these hearing of the story, the details of the story a second time, that would help them retain what is happening here. And this is a hinge issue in what takes place in the book of Acts. 
And this is also repeating it a second time, is the way that Luke gives emphasis to that. It's always been a Jewish phenomena to this point. And this is the point where everything changes. And so you look at the, the questions that the early church had. It began as this Jewish phenomena, and suddenly, uh, a few decades later, there's all of these Christians there, and there's only a handful of Jews in a lot of these churches. It's largely become a Gentile phenomena, and they were like, how did this happen? Well, the book of Acts is explaining all of that, and this is the hinge of all of that, what takes place on this missionary journey of Peter. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, the words of Jesus, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same Spirit as He gave to us, who was I to think that I could oppose God? It takes courage to speak to those outside of the church who are opposed to what you're doing and what you're about. It takes courage to go against the flow and the grain of the culture around us. It does. And we found, we found uh, the, the story of uh, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin where they're being accused, where they're being persecuted, and they are ordered not to speak the name Jesus Christ. And they are bold, and they say these words, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That was a message given to these, these Jewish people, these leaders, the Sanhedrin, who are uh, the leaders of the Jewish religion. But now it is the message that is given to their own brothers, Peter's own brothers, his own sisters, the, the, the insiders of the church family, where he now has to say these words, who was I to think, who was I to think that I could oppose God? It's hard to speak the words a church needs to hear sometimes. It's hard to have the kind of heart that can accept those and then we can start a dialogue about things. One thing I hope as your minister, I'm not saying that I get it all right and I, uh, the things that I think we should be doing, they're the right thing or the wrong thing, or even the elders. But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and He is leading us in a direction. If we cannot have an open dialogue about some things as He leads us deeper into His mission, there's a real problem with that. And when those situations come up, they inevitably are going to come up in any church. Make sure you look at the condition of your own heart and you ask yourself, okay, Lord, what is your will? What is your will? 
And He will give us the clarity we need. He will give us the generosity of spirit that we need. What Peter is doing here, it's an amazing thing. But it is recognized that it's not, this is not a man-made initiative that's taking place. This is the Spirit of God leading and the church catching up to what God desires. This is not a direction the church wanted to go or even imagined, really. This is something that God was doing. So when they heard this, it says, they had no further objections and praised God saying, I can't believe it, but God has granted even Gentiles, even Gentiles, repentance unto life. Repentance unto life. In my mind, this is a miracle. It's even greater than that miracle of resurrection and the, the healing of someone who was lame. That a whole group of people who had certain expectations, their view, their prejudices, their understanding of who and how a person is, should, should be included in the church. All of that completely changes in a few moments of time when they hear about what God has done. I think that's a miracle. And don't misunderstand this event to think that God accepts with no expectation of work to be done or things to learn or things to change. This isn't a verse in favor of religious pluralism or universalism that Jesus Christ is just one more way to get to heaven. One more God to put on your shelf of idols. That isn't this at all. It's not whatever floats your boat. This is surrender at the feet of Jesus. This is full surrender at the feet of Jesus. And that's what repentance unto life is. We've sometimes made repentance out to be a burden. It's not a burden. Repentance is a great gift. It's a great gift. And as Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, repentance isn't a one-time thing. It becomes a way of life for us. We repent and we see, receive life and we're baptized into the body of Christ. And the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit we receive, He continues to teach us and show us things that need to change. And it's a privilege to become more like Jesus. But what this text means is that there's no human condition or situation out there that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus.
not your ethnicity, not your tribe, not your language, not your gender, not your sexual orientation, not your disability, not your socioeconomic standing, not your education level, not your age, not your sin, not your shame, not your past mistakes. In God's eyes, there is no government, there is no religion, there is no human institution. There is no church. There is no power of heaven or hell that can keep you from repenting and saying, I've tried it my own way, Lord. And I'm ready to try it your way. There's no human condition that can keep you from that. And that, think of that image again. God shows no favoritism and accepts. If you come to God with a heart like that, and you stay there waiting, He'll come and He'll lift your face. And you will get to meet the gaze of your Lord. And that is the salvation that's available to us. That is repentance unto life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. So however you hear these words today, however we can serve you as a church, we're, we're, we're trying to figure this out. We're growing, we're stumbling, we're making mistakes, more people are coming. Uh, we still have more space up front, but the pews are starting to fill up in the, back, the prime seat back there where I can't quite make you out clearly. I mean, if you're really sleeping and snoring loud, I'll be able to pick you out. But the prime seats in the back are getting kind of full. We'll maybe need to add more seats coming up here. But whatever is bringing you here and whatever things the Lord is doing in your own heart, we want to be a church that recognizes God gives everyone the gift of repenting at his feet. And you have an opportunity where you can make him Lord of your life. And this is something that you get to do over and over again because repentance is a gift. So you let us know how we can help you. Baptism into the body of Christ, the prayers of the church, you let us know while we stand and sing together.